Hello, GBC Church family. Let me welcome you to our service today and wish you a blessed Memorial Day weekend. We can only hope and pray that this shelter-in-place order here in California ends quickly. We've had some positive information come out of Washington this past week from our president, and uh, we're hoping that our local authorities will cooperate and allow churches to meet once again. And so we're looking forward to gathering together as the body of Christ. But we're glad you're here today with us uh, for our Sunday message. We want to thank you for your faithfulness in your giving during this time of separation. Uh, we continue to support missionaries, and uh, the campus here still has uh, costs. And so we just appreciate your generous support during this time. And if you're interested in giving an offering to our church, you can do it through the church app. Or you can simply mail in your offering to Grace Bible Church, 2225 Euclid Avenue, Redwood City, California, 94061. And please be sure to put on the envelope treasurer so we know that it's an offering and it will go directly to our treasurer. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 today, verses 12 to 14, with a message entitled, Facing the Fact of temptation, facing the fact of temptation. But before the message, uh, we're going to have a, a short video in honor of Memorial Day and those who gave the ultimate sacrifice for our freedoms that we enjoy here today in our country. And then that will be followed by some announcements from our elder Ken Saragusa, as well as our scripture reading out of Psalm 97. Also, make sure you download the uh, sermon outline. You can get it through the church app or through the email that went out to you so you can follow along with the message. Well, good Sunday morning, Grace Bible family and friends. Thank you for allowing us to come into your homes once again as we look forward to uh, the shelter in place coming to an end to some degree. Uh, we are encouraged by some of the reports that we've been getting that we may be able to worship together uh, as early as uh, June 7th, uh, but we're still working on that. So keep that in prayer as we look forward to that time of coming together. A um, couple brief announcements. Uh, obviously, the uh, Bible studies are still continuing. Uh, Wednesday night Bible study through Ecclesiastes, as uh, Steve is teaching through. Uh, Tuesday, uh, women's Bible study at uh, 7.30, or 7 o'clock, I mean, on Tuesday evenings, and also 8.30 a.m. Thursdays for the ladies' prayer time. Uh, so make a note of that uh, to join those if you can. Uh, this morning we're going to be reading out of Psalms, and we're going to, the, the psalm entitled, Psalm 97, is entitled, The Lord Reigns. And through this difficult circumstance in the last couple months, um, sometimes we lose sight of who's in control and put our faith in the wisdom of men, as Steve was teaching on uh, Wednesday evening. But I just want to remind us, um, that uh, our hope doesn't lie within humanity, but it's in the God who created all things and who is sovereign over all things. Um, so I just wanted to encourage you this morning through Psalm 97. Also uh, be aware that uh, tomorrow, Monday, is Memorial Day. So keep those who have served our country uh, in your prayers, um, who continue to serve our country in prayers, those who have gone before them. And also... Uh, you can memorialize those who are in the front lines uh, during this uh, epidemic, all the doctors and nurses and healthcare workers and all the support systems uh, that are in place uh, to deal with this. So this would be a good time to um, be able to thank those that you may know, and uh, I'll pray for those that you don't. So let's uh, turn to Psalm 97, and we'll begin and be reading the whole psalm. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world, the earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the peoples see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame. 
who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgment, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord and hate evil, he preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the land of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that you are in control over all things. Uh, it puts our hearts and minds at ease that we know, Lord, that there are things that are out of our control. But Father, you're aware of them. So Father, help us in the time of need, uh, daily, weekly, monthly, in all of our lives, Lord. Understand that no matter what, uh, God, you see all things. And for those, Lord, who call upon your name, uh, your faithfulness reigns forever. So thank you, Father, for this time. We ask you to bless our time together as Steve brings the message uh, to us in the book of Corinthians. And Father, we just pray that you would continue to heal our land as we look forward to meeting together again. Uh, pray for wisdom for our leadership in our state, in our local government, Lord, that you would give them the wisdom to make the right decisions uh, so that, Father, we can again gather together as your people. So thank you again, Father, for this time. We ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Ken, for the scripture reading and the prayer. And we look forward to our time today in God's Word. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. Now remember where we're at here in the book. We're in chapter 10, and last time we looked at a message entitled, Warnings from the Wilderness. And we talked, uh, we spoke of the, um, the fact that Paul was communicating to the church of Corinth that they needed to remember the failures of Israel while they were in the wilderness and we talked about their privileges, their problems, and the purpose of the Lord through all those things. Now today, obviously, we live in a greatly different age from the Hebrews back in the wilderness under Moses, but we can learn a valuable lesson from their experience. And like them, we can forfeit our blessing, our reward, even our effectiveness in the Lord's service if we allow overconfidence or pride or presumption to prevail. And so we, if we take our liberties in Christ a little bit too far or we fall into disobedience and sin. Uh, we don't lose our salvation. We're secure in Christ, praise the Lord. But we can easily lose our virtue. We can lose our testimony. We can lose our usefulness. And we can become even disqualified in the race of the Christian life. So with that in mind, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for this text this morning. We thank you for the Apostle Paul who penned it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church at Corinth. I pray, Lord, for wisdom that we would be able to apply these truths that we hear and read to our own lives and our own hearts. Father, we pray that you would continue to remind us that we are totally dependent upon you to live this Christian life each and every day for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, today in this text, as we look at the, the topic of facing the fact of temptation, facing the fact of temptation, we're going to look at four points. Remembering the face of pride in verse 12, recognizing the fact of temptation in verse 13, 
resting in the faithfulness of God, also in verse 13, and then in verse 14, responding with faith in the Lord alone. Now, as we read that text this morning, just those two verses, really this whole first 14 verses, the key verse in our text is really verse 12, where it reads, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. And so we Paul calls us to the first point here, remember the face of pride. Remember the face of pride. That word therefore there, host in the Greek, is used some 74 times in the New Testament. It's used 13 times just here in 1 Corinthians. And it really has the idea that everything that he's about to say, he's referring back to the result of what he's previously said. He's saying, because I've told you all this information, therefore do this, or therefore hear this. Uh, he uses it over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, or chapter 15, verse 58, where he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, and so forth. Paul uses this term a lot, and that's just how he usually teaches. Usually he gives us theology right up front. And then he follows up with practical application. So he'll pack the first, say, three chapters of Ephesians, all with theology, talking about election, talking about our position in Christ. And then in chapter four, he begins, he says, therefore, based on what I just told you, here's how you live. And so we want to be remembering the face of pride, as he points out here. Anyone thinks he stands lest he fall. He points out that basically every believer, especially when he becomes self-confident in his Christian liberty as the Corinthians had done, and even confident in their own spiritual maturity, they should take heed lest he fall. We've all run into Christians over our years probably and they've We've maybe mentioned to them, well, you want to be careful with that. Oh, I, I don't deal with that sin. That sin doesn't affect me. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with this. They're overconfident in their own spirituality. And we should never be overconfident, no matter what. Every believer, especially when he becomes self-confident, that's the opportune time when the enemy steps in and wants to take advantage. So the first point here under remembering the face of pride is that one thing temptation or trials do in our lives is it admonishes us not to trust in ourselves. It admonishes us not to trust in ourselves. He says, take heed lest he fall. Over in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, the Lord said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Then he said this, the spirit is willing, but what? But the flesh is weak. Paul expresses this timeless principle right here. And he uses it over and over and over again. We're reminded in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, where it says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before stumbling. See, it's easy to substitute confidence in ourselves for confidence in the Lord. When we need to accept his guidance, his blessing, but then what do we do? We take credit for the work that he's doing through us. It's so easy to become caught up in our freedom in Christ. Sometimes we have a tendency to forget that we were bought with a price, that we are not our own. We are his. And he calls us to obey his word. And he calls us to serve him. And see, the Bible is filled with examples. I just want to touch on a couple examples of the dangers of overconfidence or the dangers of pride, you might say. We're reminded as we look back in the book of Esther, the whole book centers around the plan of a, of a prideful and overconfident man who basically saw his plan backfire. You remember the story, King Azarias of Persia promoted Haman one of his uh, servants, to be second in command and with instructions for the people even to bow to Haman as they would bow before a king. Well, that gave Haman a lot of pride. Well, there came along an individual, one of the Jews, Mordecai, who would not bow. 
And when the proud and arrogant Haman was told that Mordecai was a Jew, he persuaded the king to declare an edict that would give him revenge on all the Jews in the land by having them destroyed. Very prideful thing to do. And you know the story, through the intercession of Queen Esther, Haman was actually hung on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. His plan backfired. And then Mordecai was given all of Haman's possessions and the royal honor that Haman had Mordecai experienced for himself. Pride goes before a fall. Or you think of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, when he taunted Israel with the boast that her God could no more save her than the, the gods of the, the pagans. A short time later, you read this. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. That's more than this virus has wiped out here in the States. 185,000 people the Lord struck. And when the men arose early in the morning, behold, all of these were dead. A few days after the king, the defeated king returned to Assyria. What happened to him? He was assassinated by two of his own sons. And he was succeeded on the throne by the third. Pride goes before a fall. Or even in the New Testament, when you think of someone like the Apostle Peter, he thought that he was the strongest, the most dependable disciple when in turn he turned out to be actually the weakest. He even assured the Lord, Lord, I'm going to be with you no matter what. I'll go to prison, even to death. And then Jesus had to say, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> he predicted the dawn of Peter's denial three times that he would even know Jesus. Pride goes before a fall. Or in the book of Revelation, you see some churches that are prideful. The church of Sardis was prideful of her reputation of being spiritually alive. But actually the Lord had, Lord had to warn her, the church, that she was really dead <clears throat> and needed repentance. Or the self-confident believers of Laodicea in Revelation 3, they thought they were wealthy and in need of nothing, the Bible says. But they were told by the Lord that they were actually wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Talk about a misread. These people really couldn't see the forest through the trees. See, Christians who become self-confident become less dependent on God's word and less dependent on God's spirit, and become careless in their living. A carelessness increases openness to temptation. And it increases and it, it, it decreases resistance to sin. See, when you become overconfident, when you become careless in your spiritual walk, you you expose yourself to more temptation. But the resistance to that temptation decreases. When we feel most secure in ourselves, when we think that our spiritual lives are the greatest, are the strongest, that our doctrine is the soundest, and maybe even our morals are the purest, that's when we need to be careful. That's when we should be on our guard. That's when we should be most dependent upon the Lord. Pride goeth before a fall. So by this time, the Corinthians were no doubt wondering how they could avoid all these failures or mistakes that Israel had made in the wilderness. He had just described all those to them. He had illustrated them. How do we keep from craving all these evil things, Paul? How do we keep from falling into idolatry in our own hearts? How do we live righteous lives when the society around us is so wicked and so pagan? How can we avoid trying the Lord by continuing to grumble? How can we stop this? 
Well, Paul's answer is that a Christian should recognize that victory is always available. But you have to face the fact of temptation, first of all. See, the Word of God tells us that a believer can never get into a temptation that he cannot get out of. And we're going to be talking about that word temptation in just a moment so we have a clear understanding. But look at what he says here. He says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. See, after a strong exhortation, a strong warning, a strong teaching about self-confidence and pride, Paul gives a strong word on temptation. He calls us, first of all, to remember that fact, or remember the face of pride, remember the face of pride, but then he calls us to recognize the fact of temptation. To recognize the fact of temptation. That word temptation there, parasmus in the Greek, it's used 21 times. Or in the verb form, it's used 41 times. But here's what you have to understand. When we think of temptation, we always think of being tempted to sin, don't we? That's just where our mind goes. But see, this word does not always refer to the solicitation to do evil. It can refer to difficult trials, tribulations in our lives. It has no moral value attributed to it. What gives it its moral value is the content in which we find this word. The basic meaning of temptation is simply to test or to prove. It has no negative connotation whatsoever. <clears throat> Whether it becomes a proof of righteousness or an inducement to sin depends on our response. If we resist in God's power, it is a test that proves our faithfulness. If we don't resist, it becomes a solicitation to sin. And the Bible uses the term in both ways. And sometimes, a lot of commentators believe that Paul has both meanings in mind here. Not just one or the other, but both meanings. Matthew chapter 4 verse 1 says, When uh, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. See, it's clear that both God and Satan were participating in this trial for Jesus, in this testing. God intended the test to prove his son's righteousness. But Satan intended the test to induce Jesus to misuse his divine powers. And so he could give allegiance to Satan. You think of Job. He was tested in much the same way. God allowed Job to be afflicted in order to prove that his servant was an upright man fearing God and turning away from evil. But Satan's purpose was just the opposite, wasn't it? To prove that Job was, faithfully, was faithful only because of all the blessings and all the prosperity that the Lord had given him. And if those things were taken away, well, the, Satan said, well, he's not going to praise you then. Surely he's going to curse you. God's tests, God's trials are never a solicitation to evil. James strongly corrects those who think such a thing. In James chapter 1 verse 13, James writes, Let no one say when he is tempted or tried, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Very clear. By evil is the key to the difference between those two types of temptation. In the wilderness, God tested Jesus by righteousness, whereas Satan tested Jesus by evil. A temptation becomes an inducement to evil only when a person is carried away and enticed by his own lust. That's what James tells us. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Earlier, James wrote in chapter 1, verse 2, Count it all joys, my brother, when you meet trials of various kinds. There's the word, trials. Or down in verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. 
For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God promised to those who love him. The word there, trials and testing, verses 12 and 3, are the same Greek word as the verb tempted. See, the context indicates what is meant by the sense of the word. God often brings circumstances into our lives to test us or try us. And like Job, we don't always recognize them as tests. Sometimes we definitely don't recognize them as tests from God. But what proves our faithfulness? What proves our unfaithfulness? Well, our responses to those tests, those trials. How do we react to financial difficulty? Or how do we react to school problems or health problems or business setbacks? A lot of people are dealing with these very things nowadays. They will always test our faith. They will always test our reliance on our Heavenly Father. And if we do not turn to Him for help, the same circumstances can make us bitter, can make us resentful, can even make us angry. And rather than thanking God for that trial or that test, as James advises, some people accuse him. God, what are you doing to me? Why are you doing this? As if he doesn't understand what he's doing. The circumstance or the opportunity is only a test. Neither good nor evil in itself. Whether it results in good and evil, spiritual growth or spiritual decline, depends entirely upon our response to that test. You remember in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says that we should ask God, what? Not to lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I remember growing up in the Catholic Church and praying that prayer often and always wondering, why would God do such a thing? Why would God tempt us? See, evil is better translated the evil one. It's referring to Satan. Lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In other words, we should pray that God will not allow tests to become temptations. Not allow trials to become temptations. In the sense of inducing us to evil. The, the idea is simply this, Lord, stop us before Satan can turn your test into his temptation. That's really what Jesus was saying. Well, look at what it says here. In verse 12, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. That is not common to man. So we have to remember the face of pride, recognize the face of temptation. And under that, we have to realize that this is affecting all believers. He says it's common to man. Sometimes we have the idea that we're the only one going through trials. We're the only one dealing with things in our lives. Everybody else's trials are, are not as bad as ours. That's simply not true. The Bible says all these kind of things are common to man. They're so common, even Jesus can relate. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, the writer of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has tempted, has been tempted as we are yet, what? Without sin. See, this word common to man, anthropinos in the Greek, it simply means that which is human. Characteristics of being human or belonging to mankind. In other words, Paul says there's no such thing as some superhuman or some supernatural temptation. Temptations are human experiences. Trials are human experiences. The term also carries the idea of usual or typical, as indicated by the English word common. They're never unique. 
You know, we, we experience many things, but there's a lot of people that experience those things. We may not know about them at the time, but they're never unique just to us and us alone. We can never have a temptation or a trial that has not been experienced by millions of other people. Circumstances differ, but the basic temptations or trials do not. Hebrews 4.15 even says there that the Son of God, Jesus, was tempted in all things as we are. And he says in chapter 2, verse 18, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Why? Because he understands it. He was here on earth. And because temptations are so common to us, we are able, as James chapter 5, verse 16, we're able to confess our sins to one another in Galatians 6, 2, and bear one another's burdens. See, we're all in the same boat as believers. We're all dealing with trials and temptations in this world. Nobody has more temptations than others. And yet, that's what we think when we're going through it. You know, if you've ever talked to someone who's going through a hard time, a lot of times, boy, that's all they talk about. They're just focused on that. And sometimes you have to say, well, you know what? I've been through that. I've experienced that too. And there's light at the end of the tunnel. You'll come out of this okay. So we have to see, remember the face of pride, recognize the fact of temptation. But then look at this at the end of, of verse 13 here. He simply points out in verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 13, he says, God is faithful. God is faithful. We need to rest in the faithfulness of God. We need to rest in the faithfulness of God. He, he always remains true to his own. God will not, cannot ever be unfaithful to you. Job chapter 5 verse 19 says, Job went through a lot of things, but listen to what, he, what the, the word says in Job 5.19. From six troubles he will deliver you, even in seven evil will not touch you. What's he saying? It's a promise of God's faithfulness. You may be going through the thick of it right now. But you know what? Don't lose hope. Because if your trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're one of God's children, you have all the hope in the world. All of your hope is in Christ. When our faithfulness is tested, we have God's own faithfulness as our resource. We don't have to rely on our own ingenuity. We can be absolutely certain that he will not allow us, that verse continues, to be tempted beyond what we are able to bear or endure. See, that's God's response when we pray, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He will not let us experience any test, any trial that we are not able to meet. Remember, when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked them twice, if you look at that account, two times he asked them, who did you come for? Why are you here? And after they answered him the second time, well, we're here to arrest Jesus of Nazareth. Well, what did he say? He said, well, if you seek me, then let these guys go. Let these disciples go. See, John explains that Jesus prevented the disciples from being arrested in the garden with Jesus. Why? Well, it was in order that the word might be fulfilled, which he spoke, it says in verse 9, John 18, of those whom thou hast given me, I lost not one. In other words, Jesus understood that the disciples were not ready for this test. They were not ready to be arrested and be imprisoned and maybe be executed for their faith. It wasn't time for them yet. So Jesus literally prevented the authorities from arresting them. And the disciples were not ready for such a test, so Jesus stepped in and said, hey, you know, had they been arrested? I mean, I think they would have been devastated. They didn't know what was going on. I mean, they, at that point, they thought Jesus was here to, to take over and, and get rid of the Roman rule, and they, they were purely a physical kingdom on earth. That's what they were thinking. They didn't understand the whole idea of Jesus going to the cross and dying. 
But Jesus would not permit it. When you look back on church history, it's interesting that most of the 11 disciples died a martyr's death. John was exiled for life on the Isle of Patmos. But all of them went through persecution. All of them went through imprisonment to some degree. All of them went through hardship after hardship for the sake of the gospel. And see, all these life experiences up to that point got them prepared for that. See, God would not allow them to go through those experiences until they were ready to handle them. And that's where we see his protection here. We see his protection under resting God's faithfulness. It says, he will not suffer you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Not only are temptations common to men, but God is faithful. No believer can claim that he was overwhelmed by temptation or that the devil made me do it. That doesn't fly in face of the word of God. You have to take personal responsibility for your own sinfulness. No one, not even Satan, can make you sin. Do you understand that? He cannot even make us, he cannot even make an unbeliever sin, for that matter. No temptation is inherently stronger than our spiritual resources. Why do people sin then? Because they're willing to sin. They're willing to sin. The Christian, however, has his heavenly Father's help in resisting any solicitation to evil, any sin, because God is protecting us. Well, secondly, you see his provision, because he says with the temptation, what? He will also make a way of escape. God not only protects you, but he provides for you. He will provide a way of escape that you will be able to endure it. That phrase, the way, is formed by a definite article and a singular noun. In other words, there's only one way out of these situations. There's not multiple ways. The way of escape from every temptation, no matter what it is, is the same. Well, guess what it is? Through it. Through it. You have to go through it. You have to prove your faithfulness through it. Whether we have a test by God to prove our righteousness or a test by Satan to induce us to sin, there's only one way you can pass the test, and that's going through it. And that leads to the third point here under this heading is his plan. He says that you may be able to bear it or endure it. See, our ability to endure it is the way out of temptation. God puts his strength in us and he uses the temptation to make us stronger, to teach us to depend totally upon him. We escape temptation not by getting out of it, but by going through it. God does not take us out. He sees us through by making us able to endure it. God's own spirit, think about it, led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. It was the Father's will that the Son be there. And Jesus did not leave until all three temptations were over. He met the temptations head on. He escaped the temptations. How? By enduring them with the Father's power. Well, let me share with you three ways that God allows us to endure temptation. Three things that God provides for us to endure temptation. Prayer, trust, and focusing on Jesus Christ. Mark 14, 38, Jesus says, keep watching and praying that you may not, what? Come into temptation. That's what he told his disciples. See, if we do not pray, we can be sure a test, a trial will turn into temptation. Our first defense in a test or a trial is to pray, to turn to our heavenly father and put the matter in his hands. Second, 
you have to trust. When we pray, you must pray believing that the Lord will answer and help us. We also trust that whatever the origin of the trial, God has allowed it to come for our good. We believe in the sovereignty of God. And it's there to prove our faithfulness. God has a purpose for everything that enters into the lives of his children. Good, bad, indifferent, whatever. God has a purpose for it. And when we're tested or when we're tempted, we should gladly endure it in his power for the sake of his glory and our spiritual growth. So we have to pray, we have to trust, and then thirdly, we should focus on our Lord Jesus Christ. Think of Jesus, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 and 4. The writer says, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your own striving against sin. We should look to Christ as an encouraging example. Christ endured more than we could ever, ever be called to endure. He understands our trials. He's able to take us through them. Maybe you're here listening to this message and you have yet to put your faith, your trust in Christ. What are you waiting for? He created you. He loves you. He went to the cross. He died for you. He was buried. He was risen on the third day in victory over sin and death. And now he says, stop carrying the burden of your sin on your own shoulders. Give it to me. Surrender it to me. Come to me, all ye who are weary. That's Jesus' invitation to you. Our focus should be on the Lord Jesus. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, listen, he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, and in other words, Paul had so many revelations from the Lord, he could have very easily thought himself a little better spiritually than anybody else. But he says, A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, Paul says, about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, listen, what's he say? Then I am strong. Boy, if we could get that into our heads. We're always striving, 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 trying harder, harder, harder to live this Christian life. And what God is telling us to do is stop it. Trust in me. Paul said the, says the life I now live, I live by faith in Christ. He lives through me, is what he says. Not I, but Christ. We can't do this on our own. Don't even try it. Don't even attempt it. Or over in 1 Peter, look at what Peter writes in chapter 5, verses 8 to 11. Peter encourages us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the whole world. What's he saying? He's just reiterating what Paul said. Temptation is common to all. Trials are common to all. Verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, personally, he'll do it. He'll restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establishing, establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
So we need to remember the face of pride. We need to recognize the fact of temptation. We need to rest in the faithfulness of God. But look at the last point here, verse 14. Verse 14, chapter 10, 1 Corinthians says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. We're just going to make a comment on here, and we'll look at this next week as well. But the last point here in the outline is respond with faith in the Lord alone. Respond with faith in the Lord alone. What's the Apostle Paul doing here? There's that word again, verse 14, therefore. In other words, based on what I just told you, what are we called to do? Flee from idolatry. Well, what does that mean? That means that you're putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone and nothing else. Not your wallet, not your job, not your future, not your past, not your aspirations in life, not your goals, not your wishes. Your faith is in the Lord and the Lord alone. Over in 1 John, we're told similar things. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, John writes there, little children, he's talking to believers, little children, keep yourselves from idols, idolatry. What is it? It's the opposite of having faith in the Lord alone. And Paul says that's not a place that a believer should go. We need to be trusting in Christ each and every day to take us through the day. No matter what comes down the pike, we need to believe that, you know what, God? It's from your hand. You're sovereign over our lives. And we need to put our faith, our trust in you and in you alone. And as we do that, God will be faithful. God is faithful to his promises. So when we think of temptation or trials... Don't forget our points. Remember the face of pride. Recognize the fact of temptation. Rest in the faithfulness of God and respond with faith in the Lord alone. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the words of the Apostle Paul. Lord, we know that our lives are filled with temptations. Our lives are filled with trials with tribulations. And Lord, the minute we think that we can handle all them on our own, that's the moment we're going to fail, we're going to fall. Lord, cause our hearts to repent of our self-confidence. Cause our hearts to repent of our spiritual pride. Except by the grace of God, there go I should be our attitude. We're so quick to point to other people, whether they're believers or people who have messed their lives up or fallen into sin or sacrificed service for the Lord or ministry and fallen out. We point our fingers and we're critical. But Lord, we, we should be fearful. One wrong decision, one wrong thought can lead us down the wrong path. And any one of us can sacrifice any ministry that the Lord has entrusted to us by one wrong action. Lord, help us to keep our faith, our faith and our focus on you, on the Lord Jesus Christ, striving to finish this life well, that we would not be disqualified. Father, I pray for any who may be listening to this message who have yet to put their faith or trust in Christ. I ask, Lord, even now in the quietness of this moment that you would work in their hearts in a way that only you can. Father, we can't believe for them. We can point them to the Savior, but that's pretty much all we can do. Lord, you have to draw their heart to you. You have to show them their own sinfulness, their own iniquity in light of your righteousness and holiness. You need to create in their heart a desire for them to repent of their sin and to turn to you, the Savior. To turn from their sin and turn to the Savior. 
Lord, only you can do that. And so, Lord, we pray that we would empty ourselves of our pridefulness and our self-righteousness and admit our need of a Savior. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you pray that prayer today, and it comes from a genuine heart, a heart of remorse, a heart of brokenness before the Lord, he'll answer and he'll make you a new person in Christ. He will forgive all of your sins, past, present, future. And he'll put within your heart in your life, the very Holy Spirit of God. He'll give you new life as only he can. Pray that you would cry out to him today. Lord, help us to have a good weekend, a safe weekend. Pray that you would just remind us, cause us to be thankful for those who've given their lives in sacrifice for our country. Father, we pray that you would just Bless us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.